Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, still the only podcast in the whole of the known internet dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, in 1979, the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics invaded Afghanistan to ensure the country's communist government remained loyal to Moscow. Opposing the Soviets were the Mujahideen, an armed militia who came to be backed by the United States. What followed was a decade-long conflict, which ultimately ended with the Soviet Union's defeat and, some say, a defeat that hastened the end of the Cold War. That history is the backdrop for the film we're looking at today, which examines the pivotal role one man played in supporting America's involvement in Afghanistan. So today, we're looking at Charlie Wilson's war. Now, I had hoped to have a guest with me today whose knowledge of geopolitical history could provide useful insights into the film we're reviewing. Instead, I'm joined by a man who thinks the Cold War was something fought with Lemsip and a Vix inhaler. With me once again <laughs> is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Hello, Will. Hello, Will. Let's not let's get it straight for the viewers. I'm a very keen political eye. I like to keep my finger on the pulse of current affairs. And I understand there was a general election in a country recently. I don't know if you know the result, though. Don't spoil it for me. Well, I haven't watched the news lately. So, uh, yeah, you're uh, you'll get no spoilers on uh, electoral politics from me. OK, good. But uh, how you doing? It's been a while since we've had a little uh, chit chat. So how you been doing? Not bad. Just uh, was at a, a gig last night. A guy called Passenger. I'm sure the guys in the UK might be familiar with his his work, his light pop. Uh, it's sort of like a modern day Simon and Garfunkel type thing without the Garfunkel <laughs> or the funk. Quite good, actually. He had, he's, got, he's got good level of banter. I like a performer. He's not just plays the music. I like some interaction. I liked uh, the stories behind the songs. It was a, uh, it was like one of those ones. Yeah, it was good, uh, good performance. See, the guy's from Brighton as well, so he's a, uh, you gotta, you gotta support your local artists. What does it say about me that I have never heard of this person? Well, I think it says that you're, you're someone who doesn't like the mainstream. Well, as I believe, as I'm right in saying, you're going to a very special gig of your own tonight. Is it some sort of noise gig? This is not the sort of thing most humans go to. <laughs> I, I am going to a, a noise gig tonight. I'm seeing uh, evil moisture. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be kneeling down on the floor, hunched over a bunch of effects pedals, creating kind of feedback loops of white oh. noise. So Wow. Uh, Evil moisture sounds like uh, uh, some rising damp that I might get in the house. I might call a professional to get rid of that. Uh, you may want to call a professional to get rid of this artist if he ever uh, graces the <laughs> uh, stage of the Brighton Dome. So, uh, yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be careful, man, if you ever see him uh, on a poster bill for a gig near you. I'll be sure to avoid it like the plague. It sounds truly horrendous. Now, I'm kind of glad to have you on board for this show because uh, we've got quite a lot of exploding helicopters in this film to talk through. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be relying on you to be my wingman on uh, on this episode. Have you got my back, buddy? I, I certainly have, Iceman. Um, the, the, <laughs> the film, actually, is, in fact, one of the only films that I can think of in that we've been reviewing where really the whole premise, the, the underlying foundation of this film is about blowing up helicopters. It's not about a, uh, you know, a nifty set piece to kind of raise the action levels in a film. The actual basis of this story, I'll let you, you know, spell it out, but it's about funding, Americans funding of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in order them to blow up the hind helicopters in order to win the Cold War. So it's, it's really fundamental to this film. I wondered if you'd pick up on that, and I'm glad that you have. Proves I was correct in choosing you to come on this podcast. So, yeah, we can get into all of that later. But before we start unpicking all of that, this is the bit of the show where I like to I like to ask you what you've seen lately. And you can then try to impress me by waffling on about some high minded but 
ultimately joyless piece of tedium. So uh, what have you got for me, buddy? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I hate to disappoint you. In fact, I like to disappoint you. <laughs> you and love I will to disappoint, disappoint me. I love to disappoint you because I saw the most mainstream film you could ever possibly wish to see, which is the new... Well, it's not really part of Harry Potter, but it's the part of the Harry Potter world. Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, and it's got Eddie Redmayne in it as Newt Scamander, who's a bit of a bumbling Hugh Grant-esque figure who travels from the UK to New York with his a magical suitcase full of beasts. And some of his magical beasts are let loose in New York for hilarious consequences. And uh, it's actually a great little film. You know, it's mine's the same sort of emotional and sort of fantastical furrow as Harry Potter. It's, it was penned by J.K. Rowling, who actually did the screenplay. I think that was the first time that she's actually done that. Lovely film, really nice. There's good humour in it. It obviously sets up. I think there's about probably about a billion sequels to come that they're going to cash in on, no doubt. But I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, sort of family film. Great, superb special effects. Eddie Redmayne was good. It's got Colin Farrell in it as a sort of underhand uh, wizard. It's got Ezra Miller in it, who's a, who plays a kind of... I won't spoil I'm not going to go into too much, I'm going to ruin it. But it's a really lovely film, directed by David Yates, who did the last few uh, Harry Potters. So yeah, very mainstream, Will. I'm not sure it's... You're not a man for mainstream. I don't think you'd enjoy it. Well, I've not seen a single Harry Potter movie, so... Wow. Would that mean, you know, there's no entry point into this movie? Do I need to have seen all of those other god-awful films? Yeah, I think maybe like at least one of them. It's amazing that you've got to this point in your life without without managing to avoid them, even if they're on the TV. So you've done well. I would say if you're not into Harry Potter by now, then just save your time and money because there's 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 loads of good films out the cinema at the moment. I will make sure Fantastic Beasts never appears on my uh, to-watch list. It's wise. Wise for you, Will. Okay, I don't know about you, Dara, but I think it's time to get stuck into Charlie Wilson's war. But before we do that, I think we need Trailer Man to share some interesting trivia with us about the fall of the Soviet Union. It is a little-known fact that the end of the Cold War began in a hot tub. I'm a congressman. I represent the Texas Second Congress. (laughs) Based on the unbelievable true story. I want you to defeat the Soviets and end the Cold War. Okay. Of the least likely man. I will give it my fullest attention. Imagine my relief. Ever to change history. I love whiskey. We don't have alcohol in the presidential residence. A lot of people make that mistake. No. Charlie Wilson's War. Charlie Wilson's War came out in 2007. It was based on a book by George Cryle and tells the story of a Texas congressman, Charlie Wilson, and his efforts to stop the Soviet army taking over Afghanistan. Despite a flamboyant playboy image, Wilson was a member of several powerful congressional committees. Prompted by the plight of people suffering the brutal Soviet occupation, he conspires with a maverick CIA agent to supply the Afghan Mujahideen with weapons and support to defeat the Soviet Union. The film was directed by Mike Nichols, a very well-regarded director who made The Graduate, Catch-22 and The Birdcage. Uh, he also won an Oscar as Best Director for Closer. Uh, we've got a stellar cast in this one with Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams. And as if the film didn't have enough pedigree, it's got a script by Aaron Sorkin. The film received positive reviews on its release and earned Hoffman a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Dara, what are your, what are your thoughts on Charlie Wilson's War? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. This is this is a notch above our usual hel- exploding helicopter fare because it's got a really interesting story, a real story. I like I like a real story to get my teeth into. You're you such know, a bitter you know, guest. You really resent <laughs> these appearances. Like you know, when we make we watch American Ninja Five for some. <laughs> 
excuse my language uh, viewers but you know when i'm forced to watch them i have seen some awful films in the name of exploding helicopters work so it's nice and I, and i know that you've taken my my criticisms to heart because i think you've chosen well lately you've chosen films that you know that i'll be able to get my vast intellect into <laughs> now i know you're joking <laughs> No, this is a really good film. As you said, got a fantastic director. I mean, he, he's top. This is his last film, sadly, before he died. Got a you know a screenplay by Aaron Sorkin, who's done West Wing, Social Network, Moneyball. You know, you've got two titans in the field. You've got superb cast, and you've got this real story. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Dara, because uh, yeah, I have taken to heart your criticism. So I've been trying to pick films that you will find some kind of interest in because you're such a demanding diva personality <laughs> that I have to uh, that I have to deal with. But similar views to yourself, I thought this is a good film. It, I mean, it's got some fantastic material to work with. Obviously, it's based on a true story here, and it, it sort of recounts this tale of geopolitical sort of conflict and Washington wheeler dealering. We're in a mm. kind of pop video biography style and you know that helps i think get through some what are actually really quite sort of weighty exactly. issues and themes and i think yeah helps make it uh, a really entertaining watch yeah i mean this this had the potential for being very dull it could have been very worthy and a very dull film you know dealing with the cold war and uh, it tells a very interesting story and you know a real story how one lowly senator managed to go from i think it was a five million budget that the that he allocated or the government was allocating towards fighting the cold war in afghanistan to up to a billion pounds was invested a billion dollars excuse me and it actually managed to oust um, russia from so i think correct me if i'm wrong the first ever defeat on foreign soil well let's delve into the story in a little bit more detail and i think there's a number of things this film does really well and one of the things that sort of stands out for me is the way it manages to condense 10 years of events into just 98 minutes of screen time and not only that there's a complicated array of characters and politics in this film but i thought the script does a great job of making that really easy to follow because at the heart of this film you have a secret conspiracy between the american government the cia israel pakistan the mujahideen mm -hmm. but you always have a really good grip of what's going on and uh yeah i thought it presented the the story really really well it reminds me a little bit of rambo 3 do you remember you know back in the day you know <laughs> the mujahideen were our friends and you know they were just innocent people people being overrun by tyrannical russians and you know how quickly times change and that's that was the view the western view back then and obviously our involvement the western involvement managed to create that vacuum for which the current al-qaeda and bin laden managed to flourish in afghanistan without any you know political power any rule of law or any kind of overlords like the russians who are you know keeping a lid on things well, I like your comparison to uh, Rambo 3. It wasn't wasn't a comparison that immediately sprung to mind because there, there's no uh, we don't see Sylvester Stallone's baby oiled chest firing. More's the pity. More's the, the pity. pity. We don't see we don't see any of his uh, super muscle body in this film. But it made me actually think if you were pitching this to a studio, you'd sort of say, I want to make the thinking man's Rambo 3. And yes, kind of, Will. That's what Charlie Wilson's war is. It is. It is. You know, you, they cleverly, I think it's a quite clever direction that they actually use real footage of some of the helicopters going down using the Stinger missiles. It, it delivers such an advanced sense of realism. It just really gets you into the story. So I really like that kind of uh, technique. And one of the things that we uh, we've already mentioned at the top of the show, which is that this is 
a film entirely about exploding helicopters. Like exploding helicopters are the single most important thing about the Afghan war. It is the crux of the entire movie. And it even gives you basically the idea that actually blowing up helicopters was the key to ending the Cold War. Absolutely. I think uh, what happened before the US sort of ramped up their funding, the poor old Mujahideen on their donkeys were basically trying to, you know, shoot down the uh, the helicopters with antiquated muskets and, you know, old guns. Absolutely no chance these hind helicopters are armoured to the hilt and you take something quite meaty to knock them down. And eventually, once they realised you know, strategically that uh, the way to kind of turn the tide on the war was to find a weapon that the Mujahideen could use that would actually be able to knock these out and win the war back and yeah these stinger missiles are the uh and and, and i like a good stinger missile i like tracking you know the the, (laughs) they're they're a good missile they're they're very interesting in all like computer games and in film you know what how do they how does a stinger missile track how do they do it have you ever looked into the technology in this world it's good stuff I have not looked into the technology of uh, Stinger missiles. I, I sadly have to spend too much time trying to find a date that you can do a podcast with me to uh, to, to go into research about missile technology from the 1980s. God damn it, man! It's not good enough. How do you expect the viewers to you know take our words seriously? We haven't re- rehearsed this. You keep calling them viewers, Dara. This is a podcast. They're listeners, man. They're listeners. What can I say? I've gone downhill lately. But really, who would have thought that exploding helicopters would be the most geopolitically significant event of the 20th century? I know. It's, it's fantastic. I think this is the, finally the film that we were sort of set up to make. This is almost like the ultimate exploding helicopter movie because exploding helicopters are the kind of central governing idea of this movie. And, you know, it's like the greatest movie ever made. We were born to review this film, and thus this ju- kind of justifies our existence. All this time, people think just exploding helicopters is just a, a simple, easy movie trope for lackluster directors who didn't really know how to jazz up their films. And now we know that this is, you know, a turning point in the Western world civilization. I, uh, I, you're not going to hear any disagreement <laughs> from me. Especially as I can barely get my head around what you just said. But getting back to the film and, and how it tells its story, I don't know what your thoughts were on some of the exposition at the beginning of this film. So the film opens with Tom Hanks, who's playing Charlie Wilson, in this uh, jacuzzi. And he's watching these sort of news broadcasts from Afghanistan whilst he's having these sort of flirtatious conversations with these uh, attractive women who uh, mm. I, I think they're snorting cocaine at some points. Um, I like this bit. This is very 80s, this bit. very <laughs> <laughs> You'd like your cocaine in a jacuzzi in Vegas. You know, it doesn't get more like extravagant than 80s than that. That's just basically because that's what you'd like your life to be, Dara. But uh, instead, you're in your bathtub alone. But um, I thought that part of the story was perhaps the kind of shakiest part of the story. I can forgive the film for it because it's got so much story to tell that I think they just thought, you know what, we just have to throw the audience in at the deep end we haven't got time to really finesse this and once you get over that initial scene i think the story settles down in the middle section much much better but i did find that opening expository scenes i did find those just a little bit awkward i don't know what your take on them was what they're trying to do is they're trying to paint a picture of this guy who's a bit of a playboy who's kind of almost seemed to falls into this thing by accident he's not really you know not very well known no one knows him in the senate um or in congress he likes the women by the sounds of things more than he does sort of politics but he's a shrewd operator 
And I, I know you had you struggled a little bit with the um, motivation of this character and how does he suddenly turn from being this guy who doesn't really care about anything to really investing a lot of his time and energy into trying to help the Mujahideen. But, you know, he starts off obviously seeing the newscasts on the TV and that kind of generates a bit of an interest. But he does end up going to a constant, um, not concentration camp, go to a refugee camp where he sees kids with their arms blown off from landmines and families wiped out. If that's not going to motivate someone to help the downtrodden, I, I really don't know what kind of motivation you were hoping for. I think that is one of the big gaps in this movie is the fact that I, I don't think the film actually really tells you what Hanks's motivation is and yeah they stick him in that scene in the refugee camp and he's confronted with these particular horrors but he's already decided to get involved before that particular moment and there are horrors going on all over the world so why does he particularly care about these Afghani kids and yeah. you know he kind of makes a few comments I don't really get his um there's a few comments about his sort of ideological commitment so you sort of see a few comments about him uh, saying well why are these people why are these poor dirt poor afghanis why are they the only people who are picking up a gun and confronting communism but it's just a couple of throwaway sort of comments i don't think i ever really had a sense of what his character was about in terms of deciding to really get himself and America involved in this particular conflict. I know what you wanted, Will. You wanted him to have um, his young child be run over by a Russian taxi driver uh, and then he has to seek vengeance by funding the Afghanistani people. I think personally, in a one hour, 40 odd film, They've done extremely well to sort of distill what are very complex issues and the complex motivations for characters and for countries. And I think you've got to take it. You've got to have a little bit of artistic license. They're not going to spell everything out for you. I think they did enough for me to believe that this guy actually wanted to get involved. Um, but, you know, one of the things in terms of the story, which we've already talked about, is very complex. I think one of the things that helps make this film very digestible is the light tone that it takes. It has to take its cue from the character of, of Charlie Wilson himself, who by all accounts was this man. He, he enjoyed whiskey, women and, and whatever parties he could get invited to. And I, I think that really helps the film maintain its uh, interest. Yeah, exactly. It's got a nice light touch. As I said before, it's got that kind of Narcos vibe with the, the authenticity, which I always find it makes these kind of films a little bit more engaging because they're, you know, you can really genuinely believe, you know, the story, which is outlandish, as we've just said, you know, you can't believe that these things happen, but they actually did. It also helps that when it's got such strong, you know, heavy messages, you're not getting whacked over the head by these political messages, you know, done with a little bit of humor, light touch, good characterization. I particularly like, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in this film he's very like a grumpy guy who's been involved in the uh, secret services in the US for a long time knows how it all works doesn't want to take any nonsense from anybody yeah he was, he's excellent I mean it, it's got a fantastic cast I don't know what you think of uh, Julia Roberts in this it's a bit of a kind of nothing role, really. And I don't know how well you sort of remember her career, but I think she'd just had a child or a couple of children at this particular period. So she hadn't really made many films around this particular time. So this seemed to me a role that she took that would get her back in front of a large number of people. Obviously, you've got Tom Hanks, you've got Mike Nichols, a very prestigious director. So I think that this was really her introducing herself back into big Hollywood movies again as I say after she'd sort of taken a bit of a sort of career break yeah I, th I thought she's quite good you know she, obviously you, you can't 
it's not all about politics. It's not all, it doesn't surround sort of the West Wing type politics. She's obviously a, a rich socialite in Texas who decides to have this cause to help the Afghanistanis and trying to push that agenda. So yeah, I thought she was quite good as sort of Southern Belle. I don't know. I, I thought actual Tom Tom Hanks. Did you think a, he was? Did you think he was miscast? This is exactly what I was thinking. So it's very odd casting yeah. for Tom Hanks to be kind of a uh, you a know kind of good old boy sort of Lothario, yeah. yeah, alcoholic. But but so I wouldn't have ne- I would never have chosen him. But it goes to show that Tom Hanks pretty much can do anything that's put in front of him. He carries it off. He's got such a charm, Tom Hanks. Even something that's so kind of out of the box for him, uh, I think he delivers really well. Did you think that maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been better in that role? Um. Yes, but would he have been? You need he needed to be likable, and in order for you to sort of go with him and and but sort of overlook, he can he could do likable. He's done likable he? in the past. Where's yeah. he done likable? Uh, he's always misanthropic characters. Seymour Hoffman. He's very good at it. I love him. He was likable. A... He was likable in Twister. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Is this, is this the level of debate now? Got Twister. A, gr- a great film, by the way. Which if, if only that had exploded in a helicopter, I'd love to. You know, as a, as a slight digression, a great drinking game for anyone who's uh, who, who likes watching these kind of films. When you see Twister, every time they say, OK, come on, let's go. You have to take a drink. And I guarantee by half an hour, you'll, you'll, you'll be hammered. But I digress. That is a pet favourite of mine, that film. One thing, though, I would say, sort of going back to, uh, to Tom Hanks is, uh, and, and also going back to Julia Roberts as well, one thing about the film is we are spared a sex scene between Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks. And I, I could probably uh, watch Julia Roberts in a sex scene, but I don't think I yeah. would ever want to watch Tom Hanks in a sex scene. Has Tom Hanks ever had a sex scene? I was wondering the same thing. I'm sure Has he, ever... he has uh... had sex in a film, but... Has he though? He's very wholesome, isn't he? He doesn't tend to do those kind of things. I don't think we've ever seen his 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 ass. <laughs> we, haven't, uh, we haven't seen his junk in a film. We yet. haven't seen his junk. Definitely haven't seen his junk. He's not a uh, he's not one of these the new breed of actors. He's not Willem Dafoe, is he? So. He's not Willem Dafoe. He's just you know that's written in his contract. He has to get his old <laughs> get his old boy out every time he's in a performance. I'm trying to think. Maybe earlier in his career, did Tom Hanks ever get his kit off like in the money pit? Uh, maybe was he? That was a bit maybe no that was uh gutenberg i get i get hanks and gutenberg confused <laughs> they are very similar in the 80s Hell, yeah. i get them confused obviously i i i <laughs> <laughs> i mean god knows what stephen gutenberg is doing <laughs> i'm very clear what tom hanks did in the 90s but in the i 80s... think he i think he runs a 7-eleven in wyoming now doesn't he <laughs> but uh we also have uh, amy adams in this film before she was really that famous obviously she's practically in every film that's ever made at the moment well that's the way it's she is she is um, she, yeah she's she's very young in this isn't she yeah she's got kind of like a thankless role as this sort of flunky character she's a sort of flunky to tom hanks but i actually thought she managed to kind of give the role a little bit of dignity that perhaps this particular role could easily not have had it is a bit of a macho film isn't it it's about kind of machinations of you know u.s politics which like it or not is you know a predominantly male kind of dominated thing she's quite good in it also a young emily blunt is in this right at the beginning which uh where's she yes emily blunt is the daughter of one of the senators that come and and that's the shot of her in just uh tom hanks's shirt and her pants that's emily blunt that's emily blunt burned into my retina that image very <laughs> Very nice. She's also a young lady. This, you know, back in the day, I might have put her performances on pause on my VCR just to check out that she was acting properly. That's what I'm saying. 
Well, I might have to. Uh, I might have to go back and press pause myself, but only just exactly. only, <laughs> only to no, confirm. No, only to confirm to that, that it's Emily Blunt, not for yes. uh, not for any. Yes, yes. <laughs> not for any other reasons. Of course. We've already sort of talked about kind of like, like the light tone that this film sort of takes, but it actually does have some sort of serious political messages in in this film. And towards the end of the film, it actually tries to make a critique of the current geopolitical situation in Afghanistan and in America. And I'd, I wondered how that shift of gears worked for you, because obviously prior to that, it'd been quite a light tone, sort of light hearted jp type romp but then at the end it does have these sorts of more serious messages which are you know critiquing the current political situation i don't know how that juxtaposition worked for you well you know these are he's a great director and um you know you've got a, a great screen screenplay written there as well and they would be doing the viewers a disservice by not you know mentioning what obviously they can't directly just through the timeline it's impossible to you know for one of the characters to predict the future but they mention right at the end you know the fact that they got the Russians are on their tanks going across the Friendship Bridge and out of Afghanistan. That the there's a you know kind of extremist avoid. elements are, are sort yeah. of now moving into the void that have been left. Exactly. By the, the crazies by the are Soviets. rolling into Kandahar. Yeah, they, they talk about the crazies rolling into Kandahar. So a warning about the extremist elements that were started to fill up when there's if there's no law and you know no rule of law, then you know people start to do this. The worst the worst aspects of humanity come out. So they they, they did need to address it. It's done in a very kind of by the way type it's not heavy handed you know they just mention be beware it's not all going to be roses after this and I think that's important for them to do but I don't think they dwelt on that very much because that wasn't really the story they were trying to tell it would have been completely remiss of them as filmmakers if they didn't make some allusions to the yeah. current present day political context. And, uh, you know, and with people like Mike Nichols and Aaron Sorkin involved, it, uh, you know, it's almost inconceivable that they wouldn't that they would produce a film that didn't do that. And, you know, obviously at that time, America still had a big presence in Afghanistan following the invasion there. Obviously, we were embroiled in Iraq there. And there's a message within this film about staying the course and... And, you know, you may have won the particular war, but then like a new conflict starts, which is winning the peace, I guess. And I can't remember if it begins or ends with a quote about, you know, not messing up the end game. And they kind of deliver that message, but they don't labour the particular point. And yeah, I I mean, they mentioned they mentioned specifically, I think, after when uh, Charlie Wilson's trying to get some more funding post-war for schools and they won't, you know, the Congress, they're not interested. We're not interested in that war anymore. It's a it's a done deal. They're not going to get any votes by, you know, giving paying for schools in you know Kandahar and then they talk about the political classes in the US basically having an intermittent connection with reality and obviously we know now 15 20 25 years down the line what can happen when you don't fully think out uh, all the potential consequences uh, so on those prophetic words we're going to take a uh, quick break now so uh, you're going to hear the trailer for a far superior film podcast don't try sneaking off though to listen to them because when we come back we're going to be talking about some pretty spectacular exploding helicopter action Listen to The Lair of the Unwanted on iTunes, and you can hear me, Jason Soto, use the F word. French? No. Fudge? Eh, sort of, but no. Frank? No. Fridge? No. Faruka Balk? What? what? No. Farfid Nugent? Jeez, no. Alright, what F word could you possibly be talking about? I'm talking about in the layer of the unwanted covering the movies you don't want to see and more 
on iTunes. We're back and not a moment too soon because we've got an unprecedented six exploding helicopters to look at. Fortunately for us, these largely occur in one montage style sequence showing the progress of the Soviet-Afghan war. In one sequence, we see some Afghanis fire off their newly acquired Stinger missiles on a nearby hill and destroy three hind helicopters. We then see a further three helicopters destroyed. Two look like archival footage, which is incorporated into the film throughout whilst the third looks like a combination of old newsreel plus contemporaneous footage. Dara, what did you make of the helicopter explosions? Well, I got a bit of a shock in the beginning because I thought it's almost like a jokey type uh, way that these were directed. It's almost like something out of uh, Hot Shots, you know, like a comedy, (laughs) comedy Afghanistanis get hold of this Stinger missile, don't really know how to work it. They're kind of waving it around in a clinical fashion, you know, like shooting it backwards and they should be shooting it forwards. (laughs) That's a classic. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's classic, classic 80s. So they're kind of doing it on that style. But then you see that, you know, you see a nice shot of the Stinger missile leave the uh, the actual uh, missile unit and snake across the sky, across the rolling fields of Afghanistan into a, a couple of helicopters that are kind of in the distance. You see a little, just a little explosion. And I was I was getting a bit worried. I thought they've really dropped the ball here. You don't get any of the nice close ups, the wreckage or anything like that. You get another one with this really bizarre stock footage of an explosion. Look, looks really awful, but obviously it was a real exploding helicopter. But they look much better in films, Will, exploding helicopters, than they do in real life. They look a little bit underwhelming when you look at them in real life. I don't know what you think. I think I've thought about this a little bit more than you, because I started wondering about those stock footage of those exploding helicopters, and I just thought, you know what? There were real human beings inside that helicopter that I've just watched blow up. And when you, you put know, it like, how, do you, how do you feel about watching a helicopter explosion for your own personal pleasure and actually real people died for that particular moment? Over the years, I've been desensitized to it. It's almost like it doesn't happen in real life. But, you know, in war, these atrocities occur. And you're quite right. The drivers and the, and the soldiers in those helicopters literally the drivers, had a fire. The drivers. The drivers. <laughs> <laughs> You can cut that out in the edit. The pilots and the uh, you know soldiers in these helicopters all met a horribly fiery death, and uh, literally for our amusement, it's, it leaves me feeling conflicted. Because it's it's like a uh, snuff movie for exploding helicopters. Didn't you think that there was one shot where the where the missile hit a helicopter? This is the real footage. The chassis of the helicopter pretty much stayed intact, but just kind of the rotor stopped flying around. It just kind of carried on to like a ball of fire in the same sort of trajectory. It looks really weird. It's almost like it was underwater. Really weird how they, it looks completely different from the normal, the fake shots you see in films. Because I guess their um, director wouldn't literally get a Stinger mm. missile and blow up a helicopter. There'd probably <laughs> be some explosive device in a, a chassis or in like a, a made-up kind of a miniature version of a helicopter. So they don't actually explode. In the You know, this is a, a case study. We should be analysing this real footage of helicopters and really mm. giving advice to directors in the future. If they the want the realism do, the, of their explosion. The realism. Helicopters. Yeah. Exactly. The, what, what we've seen so far, Will, in these most of these films is just completely it's fake. Just garbage. It's just garbage. Garbage. Oh, my I don't, God. I'm kind of, it's, it's opened my eyes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've never really thought about that. And, I, you know, just being palmed off with these exploding helicopters bear no relation to reality. Exactly. Kind of makes me not want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> There's quite a few things that make you not want to do this podcast. Now. <laughs> you don't need any more excuses not to do this podcast than you've already oh, got. Oh, come on. This is my this is, this is a real chance to get out of this gig. And I'm still stuck in it. 
But it kind of left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because I was like, well, you know, real people have died for uh, my art here. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. Well, I think I know how I feel about that. Um, yeah. But it's a weird moment in the film. He does actually finish it off. I think the final exploding helicopter in it, they do the classic thing where this is obviously a mocked up one where the burning debris comes down at black smoke and the debris falls into an Afghani village or cost or cobblestone streets and in sort of mud huts and the smoke is quite nicely done the smoke kind of comes towards the camera and then it cuts to Amy Adams's ass as she snakes her way up a corridor <laughs> and it's somewhat, I thought that was a lovely lovely shot for many reasons um, and cleverly done that sort of brought us back into the exploding helicopter world that we actually do know if I open a bar I'm going to call it exploding helicopters and ass <laughs> You're going to get a certain demographic of people there. Uh, be sure to have good bouncers and a good liquor license, is all I will say. I will bear that in mind. I will bear that in mind. Okay, Dara, I think I can hear the uh, rotor blades of time coming ever closer. So I think we're going to wrap this one up. Dara, thanks for joining me once again. Always a pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure. Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website, download our other shows, or alternatively, feel free to point out our shortcomings by insulting us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those Exploding Helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Well, I've told you. Uh, told me what? All we had to do, shoot down the helicopters. Listen, not for nothing, but, but, but do you know the story about the Zen Master and the little boy? Oh, is this something from Nitsa, the Greek witch of Aqualippa? Pennsylvania? Man. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. There's a little boy. On his 14th birthday, he gets a horse. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful the boy got a horse. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Two years later, the boy falls off the horse, breaks his leg, and everybody in the village says, how terrible. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Then a war breaks out, and all the young men have to go off and fight, except the boy can't because his leg's all messed up. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful. And the Zen master says, we'll see. So you get it. No. No, no, because I'm stupid. You're not stupid. You're just in Congress. Send them money. You start with the roads, move on to the schools, factories. Now it's a party. Restock the sheep herds. Give them jobs. Give them hope. I'm trying. Yeah, we'll try harder. I'm fine for every dollar. Yeah, yeah. I took you from five million to a billion. I broke the ice on the sting in the Milan. I got a Democratic Congress in lockstep behind a Republican president. Well, that's not good enough, because I'm going to hand you a code word classified NIE right now, and it's going to tell you that the crazies have started rolling into Kandahar like it's a bathtub drain. Jesus, Gus, you could depress a bride on your wedding day. Hey. Listen to what I'm telling you.